This week on The Big Show, 50 years ago today, writer Sam Greenlee's novel The Spook Who Sat By The Door was adapted and released. Described as the first black nationalist novel, The Spook Who Sat By The Door is also regarded as having inspired the black exploitation genre of films in the 1970s. Also, our radio home, DC Radio, celebrated its sixth anniversary earlier this week, and we'll talk with the architect of the channel, Max Myrick. We'll discuss that and more in the latest episode of Keeping It Real with Film Gordon. Let's go. Experience life through the eyes of a true film addict. Keeping It Real with Film Gordon. And welcome to the latest episode, Keeping It Real with Film Gordon. I am Tim Gordon. I am joined by my co-host, the man in the in the in the other seat, Charles Kirkland Jr. CKJ. What's up? Man, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me, Tim. My Orioles are number one. And uh I, I'm I'm very appreciative of the remarks that you gave me last week. So uh it's it's really great to be here. Thank you. I don't remember what we said last week, but uh, <laughs> I'm glad you know. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about Toronto because Charles was not here. And we had uh, Stephanie Philo and uh, T.T. Stern-Enzi on. And Rub it in. Lots of conversations about Charles Kirkland. <laughs> uh, we got a lot to talk about today. Uh, one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, the Spook Who Sat By The Door turns 50 today. I've been waiting for this for a couple of days, and I rewatched it this morning, talked to Charles. I think you watched a little bit of it this morning. I rewatched the whole thing. Okay, yeah, good movie, man. So we're going to talk a lot about The Spook Who Sat By The Door. That's coming up. But without any further ado, um, this has been my radio home now. God, I don't even know what year I started here at DC mm. Radio. Did I start at the beginning? I, I couldn't have started no, at the beginning. They were already no. here. So I know we've lost a couple of years to COVID. Four, I want to say four that, or five years we've yeah, been here. Yeah. Okay. So the station turned six this week. And um, I wanted to, to have some conversation around that. And Charles and I talked earlier. I couldn't think of anything. I said, let's just get the program director and the person who put the station on the air to come on here. Uh, this gentleman has been on our show. He's a friend of our show. He hears every show that we do. Uh, he is a four-decade-plus radio veteran. He's a guy. I worked in radio for 12 years, and I knew about him when he was in Chicago, and I had never met him. <laughs> so it is my pleasure to welcome back my brother, the godfather, the architect of D.C. Radio, Mr. Max Myrick. Max, where are you? Where you hiding at, bro? Max with the two X's. What's up? Hey, what's going on? Man, I give you I give you that intro, man. That's how you do me, man. See, this is why you don't get the intro, man. This is why. <laughs> I don't think he heard it. He that's why I'm behind the scenes. <laughs> <laughs> so, Max, what's going on, man? First of all, uh, congratulations, brother. Six years. I, I realized that throughout your career, man, you, you've put bunches of stations on the air. You program, you know, number one stations, you know, Chicago, D.C., markets that I may not even be familiar with. So we already acknowledge your legendary status, brother. But this... Endeavor here just feels a little different, and maybe it's because I'm a part of it. 
Talk about the importance of what DC Radio represents, man, to you. Well, first of all, I want to just say thank you to you and and Charles for uh, giving us such a wonderful uh, show for these last five years, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Well, the big show has been on <laughs> DC Radio, and uh, we really appreciate it. Look forward to it every week, and it's it's uh, it's one of my favorite favorite shows. I want to say thank you and congratulations to you. Well, thank you, brother. I appreciate you, man. But nah, man, talk about you know it's funny. Uh, I think it was the 202 Creates launch that you and I last saw each other, right? And I remember seeing you, what was that, about a week and a half ago at the down in Southwest? And down at the point. Yeah. Down at the point, man. So for, for those of you who don't understand how iconic it was to watch Max, because Max was at, at the big table in the front. <laughs> I call it the kiss the ring table. Everybody came by was like, Max! <laughs> Max, is, Max is my dude, man. So this is how me and Max communicate. But, bro, like I said, man, you know, before you got here, bro, you were legend. You were legendary long before you arrived at DC Radio, man. So that's why I'm saying this endeavor that you're putting on right now is very important for the community. It's very important for the city. I want you to take a victory lap, man, and kind of just look back six years and talk to me about what it feels like to you. You were there at the beginning when it was just an idea, and now here we are six years later. Well, this one, you know, as you mentioned, I put on a bunch of stations around the country and did some things over the course of my career. But this one is, uh, this one's, you know, special. This one is, uh, you know, not about uh, money or ratings. It's about content. It's about the community. And that was our mission when we launched it. It was a partnership between the city of Washington, D.C. and Howard University and Howard University's uh, commercial radio station, WHUR, from which we uh, we lease a, f- a frequency from them. That's one of the ways that you can get us, 96.3 HD4, but you can also get us on dcradio.gov, tunein.com, all the on, on-demand platforms on our app for iPhone and uh, Android. Because um, we wanted to be everywhere Uh, listeners were so they could get this content. But we also wanted to create um, a radio station that gave the district residents uh, a chance to show their talent and give them a platform to have their voices heard. That was our intent. And that's uh, pretty much what we've done. We have a wonderful team with uh, Shane Lewis, our great uh, (laughs) audio producer and Jessica Sturgis and uh, Kyle Murdoch was one of our earlier producers. Um, and uh, each week we, uh, you know, record and produce these shows and we put them out there for the public uh, to hear. And uh, it's been a, it's been a nice ride so far. And, you know, we hope to continue this ride. It feels good. You know, six years is a, is a milestone. Last year we was our year five. So, you know, now we're, headed toward year 10 in our eyes wow. so we can have a mm. big celebration. <laughs> wow. So that's, you know, that was the intent and that's what we're doing. All right, man. So let me, let me just back up a little bit, man, and, and put this in the context for audiences. Um, I came out of Jersey 
in the late 70s, early 80s. And when I was in high school, B.K. Kirkland was on WBLS. And I remember, and Sonny Taylor, I remember when I was growing up. I remember who he was. And then you fast forward like 15 years later, and I'm now working with these guys, right? So at the same time I'm working with these guys, I'm reading trade magazines in D.C., and they keep talking about this, these two guys in Chicago, Elroy Foster and, and Max Myrick. And I was like, oh, this Max Myrick guy. I don't know who he is. And then, is it Elroy Smith? I called him Foster. Who is Elroy Foster? No, no. Some some guy out there. Come Reps, Jetson preps, props to him, though. Elroy, Elroy Smith. Just go with it, man. You know, <laughs> stop it, Max. You know what I'm talking about. So, <laughs> so I'm, I'm reading about these guys. And years later, Max ends up. I'm at, you know, you talked about you guys leasing uh, the frequency from from uh, Howard University Radio, WHUR. I was there, excuse me for knocking the mic over. I was there uh, for about seven years. Our time didn't connect. Max, you came like several years after me, right? But we both ended up here. So I've told you privately, I tell you publicly, I have nothing but mad respect for Max Myrick because I know the reputation and the man is better than the reputation. Nice, mm. nice dude. Yeah, we amen. love us a Max Myrick, man. Amen. That's my guy. So having said that, Max, providing that context, you know, when people always tell you you should never work with your heroes, man, you absolutely should work with your heroes when they Max Myrick <laughs> and BK Kirkland. <laughs> and Charles absolutely. Kirkland. Of course. No, no, no. Are you are you related to BK? I'm not going to say. But I'll take that as a no. Because I can call him and ask him. So, you know. He'll tell you. Yeah, whatever, man. So, Max, I'm not. See, Charles comes in with some foolishness every show, man. Every show. He does. So, Max, uh, I noticed that uh, I was on social media a couple of nights ago. And uh, I saw you, Jessica, and... Um, Shane, out having dinner, man, someplace close to where we are right now. Yes. And I felt some kind of way that I didn't get an invite until Shane explained that it was like a you and, and the producer sort of a situation. Yeah, it was just uh, just me and the producers. Mm. We, were just, we had lunch, and uh, we have another gathering <laughs> coming up soon for the entire... DC radio family team, mm-hmm. and there 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 are about sixty of us. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I couldn't afford to do it on my budget. So <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I wanted to. I'm, I'm going to ask you off air because uh, I did a tour of the Union Market District, and I passed the spot that you took the producers to, and uh, one of the producers, I'm not going to say any names, Shane. Uh, said that he didn't even look at the prices, so he didn't even know what what anything cost. But it was not inexpensive. No, <laughs> but it was worth it. You know? No, no, I heard. Hence the reason why it was just him and the producers. Look, Max, that's what I heard through the grapevine. I assumed it as much. Uh huh. Yeah. Well, I mean, Jessica and Shane. I mean, 
the sky's the limit. <laughs> <laughs> when, it's, when it's just the three of y'all. <laughs> when, it's my, when, when it's my budget. <laughs> Remember but, in know. the beginning, he said it's not about the money. It's not about right, it's no, not I ratings. Got you, I got you. It's about putting up good shows. So I got a couple more minutes with Max before we got to let him go. So Max, is it? am I correct? I say that again? Just wanted to show. I I just wanted to personally show some appreciation. But we will all get together in the month of October when the new budget comes. <laughs> we'll do something very nice and show the the agency and the radio station will show appreciation to the entire team. Mm. So what happens? Like, what happens, Max? If say you pick a date. That maybe a couple of your hosts gonna be at a film festival out of town. What 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 happens with them? We'll send you some pictures. <laughs> <laughs> and and perhaps we can figure out another. We don't want you to be excluded if that ha- would happen to be the case. Well, I mean, I, by virtue that we kind of close, man, I'm assuming that an accommodation would be made, like they say in the mob movies. Can you make an accommodation, man? Yes, of course, absolutely. Thank you. For the record, I just want to say, I, I feel appreciated every time I come in here, Max Myrick. So if you don't, if I don't get to go out with you, then I, it, it's all right, because you make me feel special every time I come in, every time I see you. Well, you are, Charles, and not only do you do the big show, but you are also do the Filmmaker of the Month uh, feature that is on uh, demand and on our websites, which is a very important uh, piece of content that we have at our agency because we are the D.C. office of cable television, film, music, and entertainment, film being a very big piece of it. So thank you very much for that. Sure, my pleasure. Uh, I, I like this new, <laughs> this new thankful Max, full of gratitude. I, you know, I mean, I get it all the time, but it's just nice to see it on the air. I'll be back to normal next week. <laughs> so, I'm Max, warm and fuzzy this week. <laughs> so, Max, we got about a minute, man. Talk to me. You've had, a, 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 as I said, and I'm and all joking aside, you've had a long distinguished career and a lot of times people ask me this question like Tim do you realize what you've done and I'm like nah man because I'm still doing it have you sat back and really realized the impact that the work you've had in multiple markets in multiple stations all these years how that has moved the needle for black radio black jazz all of the things that you do well I uh, I appreciate that and I hope that you know, these last 46 years have made some contribution to uh, our art form, our culture, our music, and our communities in, in the markets that I've been been involved with. Uh, but, you know, like you say, I, I'm still doing it. So I'm still moving forward and, and uh, trying to continue that work because it's important. I mean, radio is a, is a powerful uh, tool for change. Mm-hmm. And I, and, and I think um, it's important. The work we're doing is important. But, you know, it's nice to get some accolades every now and then, uh, you know. But more important is, 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 is to see the results of the impact that your work has had on, on other people uh, whose careers maybe you've helped along, communities, uh and 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 artists whose you know careers that you've helped along the way. I mean, I've 
I'm 40. This is my 46th year. Ooh. So this it's been it's been a lot, and it's been it's been fun. I mean, this is a uh, you know growing up, I never would have dreamed I would have had the life that I had, and it hasn't always been easy, but it's definitely been worth. All right, brother. Well, like, hey, man, look, I was mesmerized. You saw me look at the end. I was like, oh, damn, he's done. <laughs> All right, <laughs> Max, um, I, I want to see you in the flesh soon. Um, we should get together. Brother, I always appreciate you whenever you grace the mic on this particular show, man. So I want to thank you, man, congratulate you. And uh, you got four more years, man. You'd be, you know, 50. That'd be the diamond for you right there. Yeah, uh, we'll see. We'll see about that. We'll see about that four more years. Maybe we'll have to ask, but we'll, we'll, we'll see. Max, four more years. Four more four years. More. <laughs> we gonna party. Let's get to, to twenty twenty three right now, and then uh, you know we'll see what happens. All right, brother. All right. Thank you very much for having me on, and uh, and once again, thank you and Charles for the great show uh, and and the dedication. Uh, people don't realize the amount of uh, discipline and dedication it takes to come in every week and uh, deliver this content. So we really appreciate it. I just want to publicly say thank you. Well, thank you, brother. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us, man. I appreciate you. Max, right. man, until next time, brother, love you, man. Sir. You take care. All right. All right. And of course, that is the. Max Myrick, as I like to refer to him, man, a guy like, a, you know, as you heard me say it, Charles, before I even met Max, I knew who he was because of the, my reputation. He was the guy. Yeah. Still is the guy. He still is. He's a guy I come to who has always been helpful to me, you know, in all the projects that I work on. Max is always there. He's contributed to these projects. He's shown up. Love that brother, man. Love him uh, to life. I'll say that much. That, that's nice. I don't like wondering. to say yeah, I don't yeah, like to say the D yeah, word, man. That's... Like people talking about you might ride or die. No, nah, man, we ain't got to die. Mm -mm. We riding. Mm -mm. We riding. <laughs> we riding. All right, man. So it's about eighteen minutes now after the hour, man. So we wanted to make sure that we acknowledge our radio home. Shane, five years we've been here, bro. Wow. Damn. It's, at five years? You gotta you gotta understand That's I show crazy. this this podcast is going into its 14th year. So I had nine years before I even showed up here. So we've been doing this podcast for a minute, right? Podcasts are sexy now. When I first started doing them, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? I'm just on the radio, man. Just doing me. So it's a very interesting uh situation, but Glad I'm here. I'm glad I get to share it with Charles crazy. Kirkland. Uh, so I've probably been, I've been doing podcasts for maybe 10 years now because I was doing it for about five years before I joined you. Wow. And now I'm here. And wow. Hey, man. Time flies when you're having fun. And remember, Shane locked us out the building for two and a half years. Yeah, he did. He was like, nah, y'all can't come in here. <laughs> <laughs> Shane's face. <laughs> no, we left. What was it? We left March of 20. And we no, it's actually almost three years because we came back. We came back. What about four, five, six months ago, something like that. So it's been. Yeah. It was three years. I want to say we've been close to a year now, haven't we? No, we haven't been here a year, man. Yeah. Oh, okay, if you say so. No, we haven't been here a year. I know that. So, but no, my back to show, man. We got a lot of stuff to do. So, um, as I said at the top of the show, man, it's the 50th anniversary. 
uh, not just one of my favorite movies, but one of the most important movies uh, that was ever made. And uh, let's talk now, Charles, because I was I was I was wearing Charles's ear out on this <laughs> on, on, on the phone about this this morning. So now let's talk about it with the audience, man. It's called The Spook Who Sat By The Door. And this movie, I'm going to start with the book, because before there was a movie in 1969, Sam Greenlee wrote the book. So without having to read all of this stuff, because I, I know a lot of it already, I'll set it up again in the context. We talk about this all the time. So the book was written in 1969. Right. right. Now, for people like Shane, and I'm not saying this to be funny because this is really like an important part to make. I've said all my life that the decade I was born into is probably the most contentious decade historically in, in the last... The 1960s? Oh, you said the decade. The decade I yeah. was born in, the yeah. 1960s, was the most contentious decade that literally changed this country in ways that we're still seeing now, right? So in the 1960s, you had Mega Evers, John F. Kennedy, Robert Kennedy, Malcolm X, Martin Luther King Jr., and a whole bunch of other people were assassinated during this period, right? Yeah. You had the Vietnam War. You had the, the free love movement. You had uh, the Bay of Pigs. You had the, the, the civil rights. I mean, the Cuban Missile, Missile Crisis. You had all this stuff in one decade, right? Yeah. And you had, like, in 1968, you know, the Democratic National Convention in Chicago where police were assaulting people. So the 60s was this really contentious— Tumultuous. Oh, big time, man. I mean, <laughs> you're, looking at, you're looking at civil rights being legislated. We had our first—our youngest president, who was later assassinated— you had LBJ come in, you know, uh, with threats. Of, I mean, not him with threats of A-bombs, but there were threats. It, it was just, it's a nutty, crazy time, right? And I say all that to say that by the end of that decade, you had black people and other, other folks who were outside of the mainstream who were really confused, mm -hmm. right? You know, yeah. you, your leadership was all being killed. The other leadership, the Black Panther Party is launched in 66. And by the end of the 60s, Huey is probably locked up. Angela Davis is on trial. People are fleeing the country. Uh, Eldridge going to Algiers. It's nuts in the 60s, right? And then out of all of that comes this book from Sam Greenlee about the first black man to be infiltrating into the CIA, right? <laughs> and in the book, uh, the character's name is Dan Freeman in the book. And I read the I read the synopsis. I haven't read the book, Charles, but the book, there's for the most part, it's about 90, 85 to 90 percent of what's in the book right. made it into the movie, right? So you had Freeman who after a, a senator or a, a politician was falling behind in the polls. His wife challenges him, why don't you, you know, put the blame on the CIA because they never integrated. They don't have any African-Americans or any black folk. And they go out and recruit, a, you know, 40 or 50 of the best and brightest, knowing all along they don't want any of them to be successful. They and don't want any of them in the CIA. They don't want any of them in the CIA. <laughs> and Dan Freeman is that one guy who... 
is competent enough, athletic enough, but not really showing. He's always in the background, and before you know it, they're like, oh, dang, I didn't even know he was in there. <laughs> that's what, that's <laughs> so, my favorite part. It was like, right. I didn't even know he was doing so good. <laughs> right, 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 right. He was like, he was like you know, I, he, just he, just keeps, he just keeps hanging out. I, before you knew it, he was the only one. So he, he, he gets into the CIA, and unbeknownst to the CIA, who have the ability to have all these background checks, they really didn't check to find out that back in the day, Dan Freeman was a cobra. Like, he was in a gang. He was in a gang. He was in a gang. He was Turk. Yeah, in the gang. In the gang. So, Chicago. In Chicago. <laughs> so, in the film, he becomes the section chief for the reproduction division. Yeah. Basically, he's a copy guy. He, he, he's he running makes the copy copies. Office. And he's in the and his office is in the third <laughs> sub basement, which I thought was funny. He's like that that scene when the woman comes down, he goes, you It's, it's like wonderful you come down here to the third <laughs> sub basement to check me out. <laughs> so after they put the, they put him, they find out that at this point integration is the rage. So every time there are luminaries that come by, they go to the third sub basement, bring Grab him Dan up. Freeman up. And you know, he gives show him up. off. He's a show, show pony. Off. Man, look, look, what did the guy say? Man, that is integration at its best. You got a guy on your staff. Right. That's He's great. on your personal staff. <laughs> so, so the film kind of develops, and I'll just cut to the chase because we're going to talk a lot about this in the hour. The film cuts to the chase that after five years, Charles, he decides. Five years in the copy room. Sir, he was in the third sub basement. Third man. sub basement. Stop, stop I'm sorry. trying to, to, I'm sorry. To, to take the man's title away. He was the he was the section the reproduction section, section chief, chief. Of, <laughs> top secret reproduction. <laughs> so after five years, he decides, man, I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna help my people. Now again, this 1973. This movie came out so because there's a flaw because there's no way the CIA. They knew all about where he hung out and who he was seeing, but you didn't know he was Turk back with the Cobras back Man, in the day. They, nobody was <laughs> watching on the on the little <laughs> Chicago gang like that. Right, right, no, right, they right. weren't checking on that. So they weren't checking for that. So needless to say, he leaves the CIA to go home to help his people. He's going to be a social worker. Social worker. And Shane, he goes home, hooks back up with the Cobras, and then he tells him, you really want to mess with the man? You want to take the man down? down. Watch this. <laughs> I'll show you how. <laughs> and he trains the gang in all the techniques that the CIA trained him. Everyone. How to Everyone. live in the field. Uh, you know, so now he creates freedom fighters. And then, they, you know, when, when we going to go? We'll go when I tell you to go. And let me just tell you something, bruh. When it's on? But but let me tell you, the thing that's interesting is there's one line in the movie that I think is really important, right? When the guy asked him, you remember this, Charles, when he said, so what's the objective? And he said, to fight, to fight, I don't want to use the word, but to fight them to a standstill. He said, they can't keep their foot on us and then police the rest of the right. world. And they got to make a choice. So I thought that the political message in this film was, a, was absolutely spot on. Which will we'll, we will circle back to how powerful <laughs> that message was later. But needless to say, um, and I don't know, I almost feel like 
you know, we, are we spoiling the film, man? Because, you know, I could say that the movie came out 50 years ago if you ain't seen it about now, but I don't want to. But, yeah, it's not <laughs> one of those movies where, I mean, you have to look for this movie. It's not. I yeah, mean, it's true. You, you, have you do have it. to. You have to look for it. Not, it's not replaying on, on yeah. CBS or uh, Paramount Plus or anything like that. You got to look. Yeah. You can find it on YouTube. But, but needless to say, But man, you got to look for it. I agree with you. I was going to say, needless to say, the third act of this movie, to me, is uber powerful because there is uh, one of his best friends is a Chicago detective by the name of Dawson. Dawson. And what Freeman wants to do is to turn his Chicago detective friend into a double agent working for him. Right. And let's just say that... Um, that doesn't work out. Not really all well. objectives are achieved. Not all objectives are and achieved. <laughs> and it and but he does call for condition red at the end of the film, yeah. which means that in twelve cities, all these so well trained. You're giving away too much. I'm now. just you're telling you, man. These, these freedom fighters are unleashing H <laughs> E double hockey sticks on, on the United States government. From all across the United States. Correct. Yeah. So we've set all that up. And you're like, somebody's at home is going, why did Tim tell us all of that? Well, the reason why Tim told you all of that is because everything that we thought was was like spot on about the message and the commentary of this film, the U.S. government did too. <laughs> and two like, weeks after this movie dropped in theaters, 50 years ago today, they pulled it. They pulled it out the theaters. And this movie disappeared. Watch this. For 30 one years. The only way you can see the spook who sat by the door is if you had a bootleg copy on VHS. But there was no way to find this movie. So guess guess how this movie came back to circulation. Oh, I already know how. Well, it I came know. Out. I, this is for Shane because Shane you know. is looking right. I wonder how this movie came back after after thirty one years missing. Somebody had to find it. Now here's the thing. I, as a <laughs> film guy, always knew about the spook who sat by the door. But I'd never seen it because it was like one of those kind of urban myths. Like, you know, another movie I've never seen? Porgy and Best from 1959. Really? They pulled it out of circulation in like uh, the 60s and it's and it's never coming back. No, the, no. That's never it, coming yeah, back. Yeah. But you, you're gonna, Again, yeah. you're going to have to have a copy. But yes, the spook who sat by the door was found randomly by Tim Reed at a, at a yard sale. <laughs> where he found the reel. It didn't even have the spook who sat by the door and it had another name. He bought it. Took it home, watched it, and went, oh, damn. This is what? <laughs> this is what? This is the spook who... Wait a minute. What, what did we find? And then he had a company and he put it out on DVD in 2004. So that movie was out of circulation from 1973 to 2004. And I remember the first time I ever watched it, I was working at BET in 2007, and somebody had a copy. I was like, oh, snap, the smoke who sat by the door. <laughs> so that was the first time I'd ever seen it, like 15 years ago. The movie's 50 years old, Shane. So my point is, is that when you watch it, you understand why it got pulled oh, out of yeah. the theater. We it's are not going to have black folk watching that it's message. It's very clear, because it's not, it's not. You mean, you mean it, it doesn't hide gonna, anything. Look, look, Shane, we going to make a movie where we going to talk about how you can take the how? gangs, the Crips and the Bloods and gangs all across the country, and they can mobilize, learn our tactics, and then fight the government? Oh, no. <laughs> Can't have that. Oh, 
no. I, I'm surprised that we're still on the air. Somebody might have come and cut us off by now. So wait a minute, man. Let me let me just put this into context for Shane. That movie disappeared when Richard Nixon was president. Right. It didn't resurface again until George H. W. Bush was president. Right. Thirty-one years. Not the not the first one. The second book. <laughs> so I'm just saying, man. The spook who sat by the door, to me, like I, you know, you. I mean, Charles, you guys know me, right? You know how how I am about certain movies. There's certain movies that I think are films that just move the needle. The Godfather moves the needle, right? Raging Bull moves the needle. Um, Paths of Glory from 1957. Uh, with Kirk Douglas, d- done by um, oh god, the guy that did Eyes Wide Shut, um, Kubrick, Stanley Kubrick, moves the needle. The spook who sat by the door moves the needle. Oh yeah, this is this movie <laughs> along with Believe It or Not, Sweet Sweetbacks, badass Bad. song. Now. <sighs> I, no, I'm not gonna say. I've it, never seen that one. No, no, no. I'm, I'm not gonna say it. See, I would see. See, the show is called. I always tell people, keeping it real is not just a podcast. It's Tim Gore's philosophy in life. Because I'm very honest and, and sometimes brutally honest about stuff. Sweet, sweet, badass song is an important film. It's the film that Melvin Van Peebles made that I think, as an independent film, it actually saved MGM. It made ten million dollars. Mm. Not my favorite film. <laughs> really? No. Okay. I've watched it. It's it's very raw. Now I'm not saying it's bad. It's raw. I mean, right? With it's with like a name like that. No, but I'm saying when I say raw, I'm talking about the storytelling yeah. is very raw and okay. how he's presented the story. So it's not like this cute buttoned up production. The smell of mad people's just being. And then you can watch Badass, the movie his son made, Mario Van Mario. Peoples, which puts the movie into context. So that, to me, if you watch them as a companion piece, they make sense. Right? Okay, okay. So that film, as well as The Spook Who Sat By The Door, I believe, are the two films that are most, most responsible for the resurgence of black cinema in the 1970s. Because all the other films that came out in the 70s are trying to be these two films, right? They're trying to have the political messaging that this film has. And this film doesn't have the made-up, you know, whitey is the enemy sort of a situation. Because what you did is you told a story about America. So through using our, our, um, God, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Our intelligence agency, our intelligence apparatus, which is why this film, to me, is so special. Now, you talked earlier the score, which I think is iconic. Oh, yeah. Herbie Hancock. Herbie Hancock. Herbie Hancock did the score. You know, the, the other cool thing, stick a pin on, on Spook for a second. Let's just have a, a conversation about these talented people, Charles, in the 70s that were just creating start soundtracks in the early 70s. Yeah. Yeah, Marvin Gaye doing Trouble Man. You had James Brown doing... Uh, Black Caesar or Hell Up in Harlem. I, I always get confused. I think Hell he did Up in Harlem. Hell, he did Hell, Hell Up in Harlem. Harlem. You had Isaac Hayes, Isaac of course, Hayes. doing Shaft. Mm. Uh, Curtis Mayfield doing Superfly. Superfly. Yeah. So, so yeah. it would almost be like if you had like composers or rap stars, like you'd have the top hip hop artists of our day doing scores for films the way they were in the seventies. It was no joke. You know, it was a time, as we talked earlier in context about, coming out of the 1960s and how we had to fight and how certain rights and programs were created toward the beginning of the 1970s. We were laughing yesterday 
when I played you the Hilltop commercial from Coca-Cola. <laughs> uh, Shane, do you know what the Hilltop Coca-Cola? Oh, God. Anyway. <laughs> okay, so I mean, I'm going to just say Shane's I fault. knew he what the know. Hilltop commercial was, but you used it in a context that I wasn't prepared for. That's what got me. I mean, I, I, used, I watched it. I used He's the like, poster from the Light Reel Film Festival yeah. early this year. He, I called it the Hilltop poster, and Charles was like, what are you talking uh, about? I'm, I'm like, the Hilltop was a commercial that Coca-Cola released in 1971. Everyone knows it as the song when they sing, I like to I teach, like to the, teach world the world to sing. sing in perfect harmony. No, no, I like to buy the world of Coke. Coke. Yeah. yeah. So, so that's what I... <laughs> <laughs> I am a, I'm a guy... Looking at my chin, that has lived a little bit. And I've not just lived, but I'm always, you know, stacking all of these facts in my head that, like, Shane looks at me because I don't know what you're talking about. But I say all that to say that I'm a, the, this movie is really a movie of its time. And it was a movie, it was a book first that came out in 69, which we now know was later adapted in 1973 that dealt with a lot of the issues that there were people in the community who just felt this way, that we need a revolution. We need to figure out how to how to cleanse what's going on and then start all over again. And we've had that 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 urge is not a new urge and it hasn't gone away. We, you had um, Occupy Wall Street about what? Ten years ago yeah. or five years ago, same thing, man. All of this stuff. There's always people out there that see our our government as being overly intrusive, and they want some change. So we may get in trouble with this show today, but guess what? We're gonna do it anyway, man. Because we 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 37 minutes in, man. We knee deep. <laughs> you know, it's we funny. are George Clinton on the air right now. We knee deep. You know, it's funny. You talk about how seminal the the movie was, right. and how how much it got black exploitation, you know, res, resurgence. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are no that you can't find any box office records on how, how, what this film did. No, I mean it's been erased from the history of cinema. So you, you can't. Hence, hence today's show. <laughs> so I want there. I want there to be some person at home listening right now and going, "I never heard of that movie." Now you have the spook. Go who out sat and by the find door. the spook who sat by the door. Uh, if you can find a book. Um, oh, if you could. If, if it, you can I, find I, a book, it's hard to find. Be, it's harder to find. Now, let's talk a little bit about the casting of this movie. And uh, somebody asked me this morning, was it you? Like, who was the star of this movie? That was uh, Max, I believe. Yeah, somebody asked me who's the star. The star of this movie, because I was telling Charles this story, the star of this movie is a guy by the name of Lawrence Cook. And before this movie, the, the only time I'd ever seen Lawrence Cook in a movie was in the scene that I described to you from, from The, the Landlord. Landlord in 1970. Where uh, it just it just sends chills up my back, man. That you know you had this movie again. Shane, are you familiar with the Landlord? Nineteen seventy with Bo Bridges, Bo Bridges, Hal Ashby, like just an amazing. It, it was a movie about gentrification forty years before we used the term gentrification. Right about a about a guy who was twenty nine years old and and decided that he would buy a brownstone in Park Slope. And in the brownstone with people like Pearl Bailey and Louis Gossett Jr. and the late great Diana Sands and a bunch of other residents. And how this, this 
I guess I said this white man <laughs> comes in and, buys and, a and tries to integrate himself. In projects. No, no, but I'm saying tries to integrate himself yeah. into with these people and the the effects of that. And the film was ironically written and uh, written and directed by Hal Ashby, mm-hmm. who had been a cinematographer in the 1960s, and this was his feature film debut. And it is one of the it's a strong black message. That permeates throughout this entire film. So there's a lot of these movies. That's why I said. Um, I think you must note that Hal is white. Oh, Hal's white. Hal's white. Yeah, Hal made Being There, Shampoo. Um, What was another? He made like five. He made Coming Home with uh, Jane Fonda and John Boyd. So Hal Ashby was was a flame that burned bright. And if I will say. The 1970s, we talked about the 1960s as being a decade that sort of changed the country. The 1970s in art changed this country. Because well, if you I mean, think back in any form of art in the 1970s, you think about the music of the 70s. You yeah. had the emergence of a young yeah. Stevie Wonder. You had the emergence of Springsteen, uh Joel, uh, Elton Dylan. John, D- no, Dylan was sixties, oh, sixties. Yeah, yeah. But, but I'm just saying, was, so many of these guys, man, in the seventies. But I mean, it's all. It makes sense because whenever you have that kind of turmoil that happens in a, in a century, you're going to have the the artistic representation. You're talking about in a decade, in not a decade, a century. Did yeah, I say a decade. A century? In a decade, you're going right. to have that artistic representation of right. and, and documentation of the results of the year, the decade before, mm-hmm. and that's what happened with the seventies. All the all that turmoil and unrest that came out of the 60s manifested itself in the artistic community in films and music in in poetry in in novels everything in that decade that followed so we're we were just so enriched by those two decades right. well one behind the other right and i was going to say when you talk about the 70s in films we talked about mario i mean uh, melvin van peoples we talked about gordon parks gordon parks junior in 70s making movies but also we talk about Ashby. You talk about Steven Spielberg. You mm-hmm. talk about yep. the emergence of uh, Martin Scorsese, the emergence of Brian De Palma, the emergence of George Lucas. The emerge. I mean, like, it's crazy to me. Uh, Francis Ford Coppola, all these dudes came out of this one decade <laughs> and just... So I literally named you, like, maybe six guys. And if you think through the 1970s of Godfather, Godfather Two, Jaws, Star Wars... Uh, Carrie. Um, I'm just trying to think. Um, being there, shampoo. I mean, there's so many movies that came out of these five or six people. Yep. It's ridiculous to me, but there we go. But I say all that to say that this time period in the 1970s, uh, when the spook who sat by the door was introduced, um, to me, I don't think this film is celebrated enough. And that's why I wanted to take. Uh, as much time as we could today to kind of talk about this film. So, Lawrence Cook stars in it, not a huge star at all. But um, he did a lot of work because he was in The Landlord, he was in Cotton Comes to Harbor, he was in uh, Trouble Man. So, he's, he's done a lot of stuff. He, uh, one of his last works was in Posse back in, in oh, 1993. That's right, he was so in he's, Posse. He's, yeah. been a, he's been around, he, he just hasn't been a leading superstar like some people would think he he would have become after a film like this. And 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 my girl Paula Kelly. Paula man. Kelly. Paula <laughs> Kelly for for this generation Paula Kelly does you know her legacy has been forgotten. 
And let's take a second to talk about Leggy Peggy. <laughs> if you ever saw Uptown Saturday Night, Child! <laughs> that scene, that one, there's one scene in Uptown Saturday Night, if you've never seen it, when uh, Sidney Poitier and Bill Cosby go and visit Who? their congressman. Who? I, I said it. He's in the movie. I don't like. I'm not going to erase him. He he go. They go to visit their con- congressman and or councilman or whatever he is. And they're in the office and they're like, "Hey, man, my wallet got stolen and Madam Zenobia's." And he's like, "Man, I I don't freak with those kinds of places." And all of a sudden, the door bursts Boom. in and Paula <laughs> Kelly, aka Leggy Peggy, comes in and goes. Brother man, <laughs> <laughs> and and she goes into what I think is probably one of the funniest parts of the movie. <laughs> she talks about her husband, and she was like, "You know, he." <laughs> she said, "But you know, both of y'all, I was I was home one day, and my husband come and taking me to this Adobe, and he's sitting there going, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, don't, don't, don't. Right, right. He said he knew everybody in the place." <laughs> And she said, which was the funniest line, which I can't say on radio, that is crazy. (laughs) So every time I watch Uptown Saturday Night and I think about Paula Kelly, who was in theater, man, she was in, uh, what was the name of the, 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 she did, um, she did uh, Uptown Saturday Night. Let me just click on Paula Kelly because we got to talk about Paula Kelly. Uh, Sophisticated ladies. I remember that. Uh, let's see. A- another one who was in Trouble Man. She was in Soylent Green. Uh, Soylent Green. Sweet Charity. Yeah. She was a dancer in Sweet Charity. Uh, Soylent Green, The Spook Who Sat By The Door, The Andromeda Strain, Uptown Saturday Night, Lost in the Stars. She was in JoJo Dancer, Your mm-hmm. Life Is Calling. Mm-hmm. Uh, Drop Squad, which we'll have to cover one day. And One Time, Ooh. Once Upon a Time, Ooh. When We Were Colored. My God, that's a good movie, man. Man. Yeah, man. We're going to talk about Drop Squad one Drop time? Squad. Yeah. I did. You, you, know, you know next year's the 30th anniversary yeah, of Drop is. Squad. Yeah, it is. Drop Squad might appear someplace. I ain't saying no names. Be like, Drop Squad. Watch this. Shane. Drop Squad. Look at Shane. I don't know what you're talking like, about. Yeah. See, see, I do I this. I, I do this it. for Shane because Shane is of, of age. There's a lot of this stuff that he doesn't know. So I'm here as a as a reservoir of knowledge when it comes to cinema. <laughs> I love Drop Squad, man. You I didn't love, love Drop Squad. I actually it was a pretty good movie to me. <laughs> I enjoyed it. Well Spike Lee uh produced Drop Squad. Yeah. Oh, I'm going off on a separate tangent. Um we had Rusty Cundiff uh at Light, Light Real, uh, the Light Real Film, film series, series last week. Shane was there. Thank you for coming out. So we only spent time talking about Fear of a Black Hat because it's so much other stuff Rusty has done. You know, Sprung, the Tales in the Hood. So I actually watched Tales in the Hood two and Tales in the Hood three yesterday. You were going deep dive into Rusty kind of. And you know, and you know what my assessment is? Tales in the Hood three better than the. That's the one. Yeah, that's the one. Mm. Love that. you know, funny, I, I don't know if this is what made you think of it, but um, when Casey Lemons was in the show, the movie we did the other night, mm-hmm. she's also in Drop Squad. So I didn't know if that's where you were going. Casey Lemons was in Drop Squad? Yeah. Damn. I got to read that. No, no I was going, where I was going is that Spike Lee, executive produced, he produces all of Rusty's movies, but he also produced um, Drop Squad. Yeah. Executive produced Drop Squad. Okay. Spike Lee... 
got to get Spike and talk to him about some of this stuff, man, because Spike Lee, I think, is the is the link that that's the connector between when we talk about a movie like The Spook Who Said By The Door or The Landlord or Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song and some of these other like esteemed films from the 1970s. Yeah. There is a there's a period that happens in the early part of the 1970s where we have. And I, I don't even like using the phrase black exploitation, right? Because black because black <laughs> folks were not being exploited in the 1970s. They were being they they were finally getting a platform, uh, but they weren't being exploited because they were paying them. They may not have been paying them well, but they were paying them. They were giving lots of opportunities to black folks in the, in the early I think 70s it was because they were exploiting them for the money. They were trying. They were getting money from the black people making making movies for and, them. And, and a lot of these a lot of these. More ridiculous titles were not made by black people. They were no, made by no. white folk, right? They, right. So then you get to the the mid seventies, and in California, if you study your history, there was a was a group of filmmakers that created the L.A. Rebellion. So there were people like Charles Burnett, Julie Dash, uh, what's the guy's name who did those penitentiary movies? Um, Jamal Fanaka. All these guys came out of the L.A. Rebellion. <laughs> what? Go ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry, because you know y'all always try to act like I'm, I'm reading notes. I'm like, nah, bro, it's up here. So I'm trying to tell you. So that the '70s and then the early '80s. Yeah. I would not have remembered Jamal Fanaka. Jamal Jamal Fanaka. Jamal yeah. Fanaka. Penitentiary. Yeah. Penitentiary. Yeah. You know, Leon, Leon Kennedy. Kennedy. Jane I, Kennedy. I, you know, yeah, yeah. I love me some Jane Kennedy, but I didn't know who the director of that was. I, I, I forgot Jane Kennedy last Jane year. Jane Kennedy. I met, and when she walked in the door, it's so funny. Like like she was where Shane was. And I saw her across the room, and I went, Jane, Jane Kennedy. And she looked at me, and it came straight to me. I was, like, <laughs> I was like, I love my life. <laughs> but I will say, which always gets me upset, because we're going to go back to the spook who sat by the door. But the fact that I met both Pam Greer and Jane, Jane Kennedy, Kennedy long after puberty, it's, it's horrible. <laughs> it's horrible. Why did not me? <laughs> Where were you at, Jane and Pam? No. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. 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 But yeah, but yeah. two yeah. two fantastic ladies. Jane Kennedy Woo. is the nicest man. Love her. But I say all that to say, man, that when we had that period in this, after we got go through the L.A. Rebellion and we get into the early '80s, there was a you know you had films like Purple Rain and The Color Purple and um, uh, Soldier Story and some okay. of this other stuff that was happening in the early '80s. But there was no quote unquote studio black person. We had people. Like Kathleen Collins, who made a couple of films in the early 80s. And uh, I can't even pronounce her name. Uzan Palsy. And it was a couple of other people who were making films in the early 80s, right? And if I'm forgetting your name, I know somebody is screaming at home, say such and such. I, I, I can't remember all the names and I don't want to mispronounce them. But when, <laughs> but when Shelton J. Spike Lee emerges on the scene in 1986, she's got a government name. Oh, yeah. Shelton J. Spike Lee okay. shows up in 1986. The whole it's, tenor it's changes. A whole new world. We now have the third renaissance of, of black film, which leads us into today. And somebody asked me in an interview, because I told them I coined the phrase first renaissance, second renaissance, and third renaissance. Are we ready for a fourth renaissance? And that's a really good question because it's almost 40 years since the emergence of Spike Lee in 86. Yeah. yeah. It's almost 40 years. So that may be something that I really need to consider about the direction of film because this third renaissance has been a rich period for African-Americans, you know, which gave us people like John Singleton, Mario Van Peoples, and, 
you know, later on, the Ava DuVernay's and Gina Prince-Bythewood. I mean, it's given us so many rich filmmakers from this period that, you know, I don't want to name them all. So when would you when would you start the fourth? Re- the fourth I don't know. I, I, mean, have to, I have to give it some Jordan thought, Jordan Peele? And I don't know. I, don't, I have to give it some thought, man, because I honestly believe that we're at a place. And I remember saying this 10 years ago. I was like, I think I think the next plateau for us is going to be women because I said black folks, we've we've got enough filmmakers in the pipeline right now, both young and old, that I don't see that as being an issue unless Hollywood decides that we're not telling any more stories with people of color. And I just don't see that happening. Right. No. And I'm talking about black people, Asian folks, Latin folks. We can't you know, there's so much texture that that folks with melanin <laughs> provide to this country <laughs> that it's hard to take that away, man. It's hard to take that away. It's hard to even imagine America without all the vast contributions of African Americans, Latin Americans, uh, Asian Americans, like any any American indigenous people, it's hard to figure out what this country would look like. I hate to bring it back to the spook who sat by the door, but <laughs> it, it, at one point in the movie, they were like, we should just make get all, get rid of all the black people. And they're like, sir, <laughs> right. do, you, do you realize how much they contribute to our city? <laughs> God, no, they <laughs> and they not. go down the statistics of how much in each industry that they, they, they contribute. And so it's like, yeah, we're here. And and we have stories. We're gonna have. We got stories. Man, hold on one second. Let me just double check something. Okay, so Sam Greenlee, who wrote the novel, passed away ten years ago mm-hmm. in May of 2014. Um, we cannot understate how important this movie is, man, and the fact that they tried to kill it and erase it from history. And here we are, 50 years later, talking about it is the evidence that this movie exists. And if you are listening to this show and or watching the podcast or whatever we're doing, Spook Who Said By The Door, man. It's, it exists. It's a real movie. It happened. It was a situation. You know, I love Shane's face when I was like, it disappeared for 31 years. He was like, wait, what? <laughs> yes, it disappeared for 31 so, years. So here, here's the kicker, Charles. It, it disappeared for 31 years and is celebrating its 50th anniversary. So it's only been an active movie for like 19 years. Yeah, at the most. How about and, that? Not and, even 20 years. <laughs> Look, um, I'm going to read this straight out of the Wikipedia page because this, this kind of got, Go got us. In 2011, a documentary about making the movie entitled Infiltrating Hollywood, The Rise and Fall of the Spook Who Sat by the Door was released, winning the Black Reel Award for Outstanding Independent Documentary no in 2012. <laughs> that, we were reading that this morning. I went, wait, what? Well, that's us. <laughs> we gave a Black Reel Award? <laughs> but let me let me tell you what I told Charles this morning, man. You know, what what is still very surreal to me, right? is I remember being in Northeast D.C. in 1999 and Kiko's, which don't, do they still exist? No. There's no more Kiko's? No, no, FedEx bought them and then closed them out. Right. I remember being at Kiko's at 5 o'clock in the morning in 1999, (laughs) working on this little project called the Black Black Real Awards. Awards. Right. I remember when we did the first Black Real Awards show on February the 16th, 2000, right? I remember there were eight categories. 
we were mixing in TV <laughs> with film. There wasn't a lot of there wasn't a lot of black films that was out there. I know, I know the first couple of years people would always come by and go, "You gave that an award?" <laughs> hey, sir, really? sir, we only honor what's there. I, I can't <laughs> I can't make them make better films until they make better films. Here we are now, I think, 24 I years later. I think the later. Black Real Awards inspired people to make better movies so that they could win awards. Wow. I am genuinely touched. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm, all joking aside, man, like, like, this is what I was telling Max earlier. People ask me this question, do you know what you do? I have no idea. I'm still doing it. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. on the phone. I'm with Charles and talking to all our programmers yesterday. We're putting together the... The fifth, fifth, or actually, I told Charles we don't use annual. The fifth <laughs> Light Real Film Fest, Charles is like, it should have annual in it. I'm like, man, annual is the word people assume is there. You don't have to put annual on your, on your stuff. So uh, if you want to follow anything about our Light Real Film series, the Light Real Film Festival, which is coming up June the 6th through the 9th, 2024, passes go on sale in December. Tickets go on sale in March. Charles Kirkland is going to be there. Submissions are opening submissions now. Submissions, no, they're, they're open now. They're, they're, that's what I said. We got, we got new films in. We've been watching. <laughs> <laughs> Life is good. <laughs> Hopefully the films are good. Shane Lewis will be at the festival. Shane's got a role this year. He just doesn't know he has a role, but he's getting one. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, Shane. Oh, I'm sorry. I know you had a bunch of jobs, Shane, but, you know, this is only a, a weekend festival, so you can, you can survive. Damn. <laughs> Shane said I need the bag If you want me to show up Alright cool Alright man So we got about uh, A minute and a half left man uh, Is there anything else About the spook Who sat by the door That you wanted to close with Other than Sam Greenlee's uh, Name needs to be immortalized As uh, a writer For what he's done And I don't know I think the only thing I really want to talk about, if we, I mean, we've already said that Herbie Hancock does the soundtrack, and it's it's insidious. It just gets inside. I mean, there's no, nothing outstanding about it, but after you watch the movie, you got the beats going on in your head after after you finish it. It's just one of those soundtracks that that kind of sneaks up on you. Plus, I'm gonna I'm blow Charles's mind again. Sort of reminds me of the River Niger soundtrack that Ward did in 1975. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm saying it was a movie called The River Niger and Ward did the soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. That's what that's what the soundtrack for the spook who sat by the door sort of puts me in that spot. So I just know way too much about this stuff, man. I gotta yeah. pass this knowledge on. Yeah. I keep trying to give it to Charles. Charles don't want it. So And with that, folks. And with that, <laughs> thank you guys for listening. If you are listening to this right now. Run, don't walk. Go online. Do some research. Find the spook who sat by the door, and you're welcome. <laughs> As we tell you guys in, in this show every week, please see something good at the movies. God knows it ain't a lot of good stuff out there right now, so take the spook who sat by the door for 100, Bob. Flora and Son is not bad. Whatever, man. All right, until next week. <laughs> Peace. You guys take care. <laughs> 